Um, would you please turn in, in, your, in, the, in your Bibles um, to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, this is where we're beginning, or continuing, I should say, our summer teaching series um, through this letter to the Ephesians. Uh, the text that we talked about last week um, has stuck in my mind, and I want to just read it again because it was so good. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it's the first thing that Paul teaches us about calling. And he reminds us how we, who we are and who we interact with others it really matters. I'll just read you the beginning from chapter 4. Paul writes, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Just a reminder, I know you know this, but this is your calling. This is our calling as Christians. It's our character to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be tolerant of one another in love, to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And this, you know... Man, I remember growing up as a kid and not really kind of getting things in church, but even you as children, it's so important to understand your calling first and foremost in Christ and to walk in it. These words are so fitting for you. But the focus of today's text, we move on from this down into chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. And before I read the text, I'd just like to say that this scripture text has probably been one of the most helpful, one of the most um, I guess, most um, important text that I've read in scriptures in my growth as a Christian as we understand the way the church ought to be. So many of us has come from dysfunctional churches. Um, I don't know one that is actually functioning really well, but we've been wounded, we've suffered, we've had bad experiences, um, but the text we have today is great because it says how things ought to be. It's a picture written by God to help us, to give encouragement, and to give us a snapshot. What I also like about this text is one of the most clear descriptions for how the Christian should live their life now. A clear mission, a clear end state, a clear purpose. Given the fact that we have been chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven, how do we live our life now? And we'll hear that in today's text. So, please mark the text as you can. One of these good ones to remember for all of your life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Paul writes, But to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And then Paul returns to his logic about gifts. He said, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, 
so that the body of Christ may be unified, unified in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, that we may become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He said, then no longer walk as infants and childrens, as children, tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and teaching, cunning and the craftiness of men and deceitful, scheme, deceitful scheming, but instead, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up, therefore, into the head, who is Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So today... Nothing incredibly fancy. I'd just like to stroll verse by verse through this text we have today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, beginning, it frames the context of all that we learn today. The first verse says this, but to each one of us, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us, I know you know this, but I hope you deeply know this. If you are a believer... If you are a member of the body of Christ, you have an essential role to play in God's kingdom. Uh, God's kingdom is not meant and just for those who are trained with a seminary degree, the young. It's meant for young, middle-aged, older, the elderly. All of us are included. And to each one of us, what does it say in the text? It says grace was given. Grace. The Greek word for grace, as you know, is charis. It's where we get the word charisma. And expressed in a gift that's given to us. This gift that God has given us, it's not something that we necessarily have when we were birthed and born. It's not our natural talent that we have. It says when we have been given a gift from the Holy Spirit and from Christ. In our text here, on verses 8 through 10, Paul does something that many of the New Testament writers do. He quotes from the Old Testament to strengthen his point, and he quotes from Psalm 86. I think this is very significant because Psalm 86 is a victory psalm. It's one of the psalms that I think we all need to remember when life seems out of control, when we feel like we don't have a firm grip, grip on, on things. Um, Saul has meditated on the psalm that he's quoting here. He knows it. And I'd like to read part of this psalm for you. Psalm 68. I'm sorry, I think I misspoke. It's, I didn't, uh, it's Psalm 68. Verse 1, he says, Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked perish before God. Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice with gladness. Lift up a song for him who rides through the desert, whose name is the Lord. And this beautiful picture here of victory, he says, Father for the fatherless. God is a judge for the widows. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads prisoners out of prosperity. And in verse 11 of Psalm 68, such a, a neat verse here, I think, very descriptive of victorious women. 
If there are any women here who need a victory verse in your life, this is it. Psalm 68, verse 11 says, The Lord gives the command, The women who proclaim good tidings are a great host. Kings of armies flee, they flee. She who remains at home divides the spoil. When you lie down among the sheepfolds, you are like the wings of a dove covered with silver, with pinions of glistening gold. Psalm 68 goes on and says, the chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. And now we come to the verse that he quotes in Psalm, in, um, in Ephesians chapter four. He says, you have ascended on high. You lived captive, a host of captives, and gave gifts to all men. But Paul does something very unexpected in this text you might not get. Instead of quoting directly from Psalm 68, he changes it and he says, the gift that you have been given is a gift from the victorious Jesus Christ. He said, Christ gave these gifts to you. So the point is what I'm trying to get to in this part is that, that Paul wants us to see is that Jesus Christ is victorious and he's given you one of these gifts that he has from being a conquering king. In other words, if you are a, a leader, if that is how God has gifted you, if your gift is a one of administration, if your gift is hospitality or discernment or mercy, whatever it is, it is a gift that God has given you to join him in being victorious in this world. And you have been given this gift to help clean up, to reconcile, to participate with God in cleaning up this world for his kingdom. In verse 11, we have a description of some of the gifts that God has given us. Reading from the text, he says, he's given some as apostles, some people as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. So the word for apostle is the word apostello, just really means, means to send. Yes, there are people who are formerly apostles, people who are eyewitnesses of Jesus' time, but the same kind of gift, I think, exists in our church today. People who have a gift for going to difficult and austere places, people who maybe start and, and plant churches, there's a uh, quote I really enjoyed. I have but one candle of the life to burn. I would rather burn it out in the land filled in darkness than the land flooded with light. Written from a Scottish missionary, he basically says, if I got one life to live, I want to live in a place where it's needed. I want to live it in dark places. That's the heart of the person with the gift of, 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 of an apostle sent out to the dark places of the world. Paul says he's also given some of his gifts of prophecy. A prophet is someone who with a, a mouthpiece of, speaks for God. Someone who stood in the council of God is not something that is highly desired, I think. It's, it is a gift. Sorry, get that out of the way. In the formal sense, informal sense, though, a prophet is someone who speaks truth. A truth speaker brings God truth to the moment. Another gift they have is 
It mentions just the gift of, of being an evangelical, being to be an evangelist. Literally mean to being a good message. Some people have the gift of making God's truth very clear and plain, making a winsome commitment to Christ. But it's not just with your voice, too. Certainly there are people gifted, perhaps you too, in gift of film or gift of radio, music, some creative industry to be able to communicate God's truth in a very winsome way. But also the fourth gift here is the gift of being a pastor-teacher, a person who can lead and feed and protect and care for God's people. But all of these roles have one purpose, and it's written before in this text. He says, it's to equip the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Again, a few people in the church cannot do everything. Equipping people for service, that is the role of the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In verse 13, such a clear picture about what the church is meant to be. This is the target that we've been looking for, the objective that is the end state, where we aim to be. He says, equip the service, equip others for service, the saints for service, and build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man or woman and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. If you're looking for a clear picture of where we're meant to be right now, this is the great commission Jesus has, Paul has summarized Jesus' words into these words right here. It's so that we know who the Son of God is to maturity, to think like Jesus, to act like him, to make decisions like him. There's some people who really got after and tried to explain what this measure of stature of Christ might be. There's a book you might be interested in. I brought a couple more from home. I'd like to give this to you just as a gift today. Written probably over I don't know, 40 years ago, Gene Getz wrote this book called A Measure of a Man. It talks about 20 attributes of a godly man, what it means to be to the fullness of Christ. I'm sure many of the qualities exist for women as well. In this book, it just really spells out clearly what a godly man ought to be, what it means to be the fullness of Christ. Being a faithful man, being a man of good reputation, a man of moral purity, maintaining balance, a man of wisdom, a man who gives a cup of cold water to those in need, a man who avoids overindulgence, a man who over, overcomes self-centeredness, a man who handles conflict well and doesn't let the sun go down on his anger, a man who isn't violent, a man who is fair-minded, a peacemaker, is generous, reflecting the Heavenly Father, so many good attributes. Attributes that you and I never can measure up to be. What I love about the scripture is that Paul, in his own best way, calls us to what maturity ought to be. And he very clearly says it in the last parts of our text today. He says, if you want to grow up in maturity, simply grow up and stop acting like children. He says it in our text. He says, so therefore, no longer to be children tossed there and 
tossed by waves, blown about by every wind of teaching, by every teaching. And he said, grow up, use your gift. And Paul succinctly says, he says, the way that you grow up the most is by using the gift that God has given you. There are lots of different gifts I think our church has. Lots of ways that we use our gifts for his glory. In the back, a couple months ago, we made this um, little list of practical ways you can help. I think it really explains some of the ways that, um, and ideas for how you might be able to use your gift. For example, on the back, the first one I have is uh, for people who have the gift of naturally being helpful and being a cheerleader. People who have that kind of personality that's, that's very welcoming. Be on like a, t- a team of people that greets people when they come in. Some of us, not all of us, have the gift of music. Being able to lead us in thoughtful songs and lyrics, be able to choose them. A gift that's so welcome in this chapel, in any church we belong to. Some of you are excellent teachers. You have to be able to use your gift of teaching in different capacities, either in, in, a, in maybe somewhere wherever you live, in your neighborhood, maybe one of the barrack studies that you have. Even here, too, in the fall, perhaps you might teach a class here, have an adult class in, in, in the side room before we start. Some of you have a gift of service. We often have lunch over here after service. And, um, you know, it's usually a couple people always picking up the sandwich trays every, 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 every week. So helpful when someone uses their gift of service to be able to help us in that capacity. Maybe organizing a service project in our community. There's a, someone in our chapel who really needs a, a ride going back home to her home off post right after the service. If you have a gift of a service, we'd love for your help to be able to, to help that person get home after the service. Some of you are very thoughtful readers and there's some excellent books that can be read and discussed throughout the year. Why not teach like, I don't have a, have a book, of the, book of the month club, I don't, it sounds kind of trite, but, but a book that we would study and that we would talk about once a quarter in gathering. Some of you have a gift of getting others out and doing a Volksmarch in our community. Wouldn't that be fun to be able to do something like once every month or so, getting together and do something creative outside? Some of you are prayer warriors, coming for the service, praying for people intentionally and thoughtfully. Some of you like to work behind the scenes. There's people that count the offering after the service. So many different gifts that we could have to build up the body of Christ. You know, this is Fourth uh, of July weekend, and the thought hasn't escaped me. Um, I know that 247, 250 years ago, we lived in a time when our nation was really trying to figure out what do we, what do we like? What is our constitution? What does it mean to be a body of people? How do we remain unified, or do we not remain unified from our homeland? It's very difficult for those times. Um, I stumbled on a, I'd like to close this service with just um, a, a part of a letter that I, that I read from John Adams. He wrote to his wife, Abigail. He wrote it on the 2nd of July, 1776. Um, in some ways, it explains why we celebrate, um, how we do on the 4th of July, but also gives a, a vision to the end state of how a body ought to be. I'll read it for you. He says, 
He says to his wife, he said, the second day of July, 1776, will be a most memorable time in the history of America, I believe it, he says. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations to come, those who share this vision, as a great anniversary and as a great fest. He said it ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Read that part again. It's good to hear. He said, I hope it's commemorated as a day of deliverance and solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows and games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, illuminations from one end of the continent from this time forward forever or. And he concludes his letter to Abigail. He says, you will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I'm well aware of the toil and the blood and the treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support it and defend it in our states. But yet, through all the gloom, I can see the rays of light and glory. I can see, he says, that the end is more than worth all of the means. The end is worth it. And now while we have a chance to live out the body of Christ, let's use our gifts in days ahead. Each person properly using their part to make the body whole. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together to meet the Lord together in the clouds. So, as you think of fireworks, and you watch the fireworks this weekend too, this coming Tuesday, don't forget that the best is yet to come, our reunion as the body of Christ in heaven. It is a sure and real thing. Uh, let's, let's join together in prayer. God, I'm reminded that I stand 250 years, we stand 250 years after uh, the faith of these fathers who founded our country. Sometimes we're embarrassed about our country. We know the good it stands for. We're, we admire the Constitution. There's so many good things about our country. But so many ways our country needs help. God, we could be so bold to pray for our country today. The body of our country, 50 states, may be unified in some way in the future. Will, our work, will, our, will all of our work and prayer be worth it? We pray that it will, that the end will be worth the means. And God, we also pray for not just this country, we pray for something more spectacular and better than a country. We pray for this body of Christ, which transcends all nations, all people groups, May each of us live out our calling. May we grow up into our role in the body of Christ. 
thank you for this day. Thank you for this humble, small gathering today. We are small, but we are genuine in our spirits of worship for you today, Jesus. Thank you for my friends here today. I pray a blessing on them each and every each and every moment, each and every day, wherever they live out their calling here in Stuttgart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.